Before we start today's episode, we have a question for you. What color is a McDonald's logo in your country? Is it yellow and red or is it yellow and green? If you're a citizen of any country in Europe, chances are that it's a yellow M with a green backdrop. But in many other countries, including India and the US, the logo still has a red backdrop. But why does it matter? Well, McDonald's in Europe changed their logo colors almost a decade ago to green to promote a more eco-friendly image. This is a classical example of what companies around the world are doing now, greenwashing. After all, consumers are now asking for products that are better for the environment and the planet. Hello and welcome to episode 4 of Two Minutes to Midnight, a global podcast for a global problem. My name is Ayushi Shah. And I'm Julia Brunner. In today's episode, we are going to be looking at a few questions. What are companies doing to look more environmentally friendly to attract consumers like you and me? How much of all of this is authentic and how much of it is a PR strategy? Well, greenwashing, in simple words, is the process of conveying a false impression or providing misleading information about how a company's products appear to be more environmentally friendly than they truly are. Yeah, and one of those companies is um, Adidas, which in 2018 created a global movement with Run for the Oceans, where they united nearly 1 million runners from around the world through the Runtastic app, and they raised $1 million dollars. The money was raised to help educate and empower 100,000 youth and their families who are living in coastal areas affected by plastic pollution. And Adidas also has sportswear made from 75% upcycled plastic trash. And this is produced with a low energy and low water printing process, as the company says. And quote, now you don't have to choose between better performance or a better planet. Wow not having to choose between a better performance or a better planet sounds brilliant on paper. But isn't a company like Adidas that manufactures more than 403 million pairs of footwear a part of the problem in itself? And moreover, at a deeper level, I mean, the fact that in your head you do think that you're consuming something that is better for the environment makes you want to consume more. So in a sense, you are using more plastic one way or another. And this is not just in the shoe industry. It is across the spectrum. And the biggest example of that, obviously, is Amazon. Now, Amazon sells everything under the sun. Jeff Bezos, the founder of Amazon, announced that he is going to donate $10 billion to save the Earth's environment. Yeah, but I mean, this announcement appears to like kind of contradict Amazon's action towards employees speaking publicly about the climate crisis. In January, for example, the British newspaper The Guardian revealed that several workers who called for stronger climate action by the company were warned to either be quiet or face dismissal. And yes, it is hypocritical, right? Because that sort of, again, shows what the company stands for. Amazon's yearly profits are $10 billion. So the question is, considering the impact of pollution that they cause and their products cause, is this fun enough? Is this effort really enough? I mean, like, not only that, 
it's also like very little known about the Bezos Air Fund at the moment, apart from what Bezos himself announced in an Instagram post. Wow. And he, he said that beginning this summer, he plans to issue grants to scientists, activists and non-governmental organizations um, with any effort that offers a real possibility to prevent and preserve to protect the natural world. And then there are Bezos representatives who declined to offer a timeline for the distribution of the money or criteria for who will receive it. And I mean, like, we basically know nothing. Like, we know, okay, there's this $10 billion, apparently, but we don't know who exactly will get it, like, real actual numbers, and what they will do with it. This problem is definitely in the clothing industry as well. Say, for example, this simple cotton jacket that you wore last week, may look really great on you, but did you know that it takes more than 10,000 liters of water to manufacture it? This applies to every single thing that you wear, more or less. And another really sad statistic in the middle of all of this is that an average American throws away more than 36 kilos of clothes every year. And unfortunately, while we do not have like worldwide statistics and they may vary from country to country, the number has to be somewhere similar, if not the same. I remember one of my friends a couple of months ago going all like, oh, I went to America to shop. And that came across as really, really weird to me because we're from India and it is a relatively cheap country. So when I asked her why, she said that everything that she bought, she could buy clothes there for one or two dollars. That was really weird for me because imagine buying something for one or two dollars. How much are you going to value it? You're just going to throw it away because it does not matter. It does not matter at least economically, it's not a burden to replace it. Yeah, definitely. I mean, like, I would never buy uh, from high class brands because I just can't afford it. But if you can buy stuff for just like one or two dollars, like what's going to stop you? Like, seriously, not your wallet. Or like, for, at least for, for most people, uh, let's say in the Western world. Um, but where do you get your clothes from normally? Well, back, at least in India, due to a lack of better alternative or at least a lack of better knowledge, I would easily pop into one of these high street stores and buy whatever. But since I've started becoming more aware of what happens and how much it takes to make these clothes, I have um, looked at more options. And uh, thanks to you, I have fallen in love with thrift stores because um, you and me go there very often now to shop for secondhand clothing. And um, yeah, I always buy more clothes than you do. <laughs> yeah that's, that kind of happens but I think for me um, that's like my reasoning of not buying so many clothes anymore is that I kind of um, first went through my wardrobe several times uh, within a few months and decided to really just like get out first all the things that I really don't wear anymore because like if I don't wear them then they shouldn't be in my closet and also now I'm like if I buy something I only buy it if I really really want it so if I see something that I'm like okay yeah that's nice but then I'm like, okay, will I actually wear it? And then the question is no, or maybe then I'm not going to buy it. And I'm also like, like you said, um, thrift stores is now my go-to place and secondhand stores. Um, yeah, sometimes even clothing dumpsters. Um. Okay, wait, what are clothing dumpsters again? Um, so clothing dumpsters, I'm not sure if that's a thing in India, but in Germany, it's a, it's a really big thing. Um, for example, I was in Berlin last year. And clothing dumpsters are basically little containers where people throw their um, old clothes in that they're not wearing anymore, that they don't want anymore. And the place where I was living in Berlin, there was a clothing dumpster like 20, 30 meters away. And it was always emptied on a Monday. 
but it was already full on a Saturday or Sunday. So people just uh, put the clothes into bags and put them in front of the dumpsters. And so I and one or two of my friends went there every Sunday to go through all the clothes. And sometimes there was even still the price tag on the clothes. So you knew it was just like, it was just bought. So I was like, hey, why not? Free clothes, I'll take them. That's crazy. And it's kind of really cool, right? Because I do notice the fact that the sweater you're wearing today is from one of the dumpsters. Yeah, it's from Berlin. Like, I really like it. It only had a small hole in it and I fixed it. And I mean, um, yeah, if I don't get my clothes from clothing dumpsters or secondhand stores, I now make them myself. Like, I had uh, sewing classes at school and like since a year or, yeah, I guess roughly a year, I've started making my own clothes. That's brilliant. And the sweater looks really nice. I don't know why the original owner didn't want it anymore. It's really comfy. Yeah, and that's great, you know. You're doing so well for yourself, especially with your own sustainability journey. But the question is also, when you have brands suddenly saying that they are extremely sustainable and launching new clothing lines. Yeah, and I mean, like, those are also, like, high street brands who might be talking about being ethical and sustainable. But, like, how do they define ethical and sustainable? Because there is no kind of Overwatch thing that tells you, okay, that's how far you can go and then you're a sustainable country. For example, Zara, which is owned by the Inditex group, and they made 1.6 billion pieces of clothing in one year. And in 2015, um, textile production actually created more greenhouse gases than international flights and maritime shipping combined. And that's the problem, right? Like now we have 52 seasons in the fast fashion world. Every week new clothing is brought to the store. I mean, a few years ago it was just you had the summer collection and maybe the autumn and the winter collection or maybe one more. And that's the core issue here. Say for example, I am somebody who likes fashion and who wants to be in style. It should not be against the planet. Because being stylish has never been against the planet or enjoying fashion has never been against the planet. But the fact that these brands are putting out new clothes, which makes like clothes from two weeks ago out of fashion already by now, that is the problem because that creates pressure on a customer like me to continuously consume more and more and more and more. Another problem again is the fact that in addition to all of these, most of these fast fashion brands make a lot of claims, like they're eco-friendly, they're sustainable, um, they have ecologically grown cotton. But who defines these terms? Because there is nothing that legally defines any of these words, especially in the clothing industry. So they have their own definition of what conscious is and what sustainable is, which I'm pretty sure is a very far walk away from what you and me believe or consider sustainable. And that's why when you have H&M Conscious or Zara's own sustainability line, it's an issue. And there is this circle of consumption again, because at the end of the day, brands like these want you to consume more. So say, for example, when you go to H&M and they give you a 15% discount every time you donate your old clothes, it does not work out because your old clothes are probably going to end up in a landfill or going to get burnt somewhere. And you're just going to buy more because you have a 15% discount now. So at the end of the day, it's just more consumption and more consumption.
every time you go to a supermarket, chances are high that you're buying products from one of the 10 big companies like PepsiCo, Kraft, P&G, Unilever or Nestle. So you might be looking for um, alternatives that are more sustainable. So you buy um, from smaller brands, uh, for example, Alpro, which is a dairy alternative um, producer. But it was actually bought a few years ago by Danone, which is one of the biggest uh, food companies. So even though you're trying to look for an alternative, um, the brand that you're buying might already have been bought by one of the big giants. And while that is a bit problematic in itself, it just reflects the fact that big companies are now listening to consumer demands. Because now you have big companies like Nestle working on meat-free burgers and committing to be carbon zero by 2050. And that's a big claim because Nestle is the world's largest food company. So whether it is for an ethical reason or whether they're doing it for profits, the point is that Consumers are now paying more attention and companies are now listening. At the end of the day, there is no way to fully avoid this catastrophic climate change without action by the food industry. But this action has to be real and impactful and not just another PR strategy. We had a recent example of that with one of our biggest supermarket chains in Germany, uh, which is called Aldi. They also have it here in the UK. And they announced that for every plastic bag that people use for veggies or fruits, um, consumers now have to pay one cent per bag. And they stated that it was to nudge consumers to act more environmental friendly. But actually, they're still making money with those bags. And also, it's still, like, it's still plastic, so there's still waste. And they also had free advertisement of this in the German press as well, because um, they were kind of like going all over the place. And we're like, oh, this is such a good idea. And actually, I'm not really sure that it is. The thing with food is you can technically backtrack where your potatoes or eggs are coming from. But what about industries like energy? The government definitely needs to pay more attention, because like you said, you and me cannot backtrack every single time where our energy is coming from. So energy companies have been accused of greenwashing tariffs in an effort to attract environmentally friendly consumers. Yeah, and some energy companies in the UK are also advertising 100% renewable electricity tariffs, but they don't actually have any contracts to buy this renewable electricity from generators. So it is just not possible for them to achieve a 100% renewable electricity in this case because the power also comes from all sources and is linked up to the national grid before being directed to individual homes. And naturally, as a result, consumers who think that they're paying to power their homes entirely through an environmentally friendly source, say whether it's solar or wind, are most likely receiving their electricity and their energy from a non-renewable resource which is absolutely unfair. Yeah and that's actually another way of greenwashing and in cases like these governments and policymakers really need to step up. So is the fact that companies are resorting to greenwashing always bad? While we acknowledge that greenwashing is definitely misleading and unfair, what it represents is the fact that companies now know that these consumers are paying attention. And many of these companies are adding more sustainable, environmentally friendly products to their portfolio, which gives customers like you and me a chance to access them more easily. 
and like we always say whether or not these corporations want to listen if we create the right kind of demands they have to listen while there is progress being made the change of pace isn't fast enough in the textile industry itself 100 billion garments would be produced this year with a huge proportion of them eventually going to the landfill this is really important when you put it in context to our current population which is nearly 8 billion and you have 100 billion clothes that are going to be out every single year yeah but one good thing is that studies support the idea that profit and sustainability are compatible because more consumers are making buying decisions on whether they believe brands are sustainable now which brings us to our tips which are varying on intensity depending on where you are in your climate journey tip number 1 do some research on how sustainable the food that you're eating is number 2 buy less and wear your clothes for longer tip number 3 write to companies on social media and ask for more sustainability they will listen Thanks for listening and please do follow us on Instagram and Twitter at 2 minutes to midnight podcast for latest updates on the show.